Welcome to Catholic Radio Indy's Lunchtime Podcast Sampler. I'm Kent Blanford. Each week, we'll bring you a sampling of some of the best Catholic podcasts being prepared and shared out there on the internet. I know a lot of our listeners are parents, and that in and of itself is a challenge. Add to that the call to be a Catholic parent, and the task doesn't get any easier. Our first offering on today's sampler comes from the podcast series, Diapers and Disciples. In this episode, Cameron and Amber O'Hearn give a life update and offer some encouragement from St. Francis de Sales for those of you feeling bombarded by a multitude of small affairs. This is Encouragement for the Weary Parent. This is Diapers and Disciples, episode 101. On Diapers and Disciples, we're talking about living out the Great Commission as a family. I'm Amber O'Hearn, and I'm here with documentary filmmaker Karen O'Hearn. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. That's me. I'm a husband. So we're going to go ahead and start with a story. And something happened recently that reminded me of this story. Hey, welcome back, actually. Let me start with that. Hey, where have you <laughs> thanks, been? Thanks for joining me on the podcast. We're going to do an update soon, um, as in a few minutes after oh, I tell yeah, this right. story, uh, so you can hear what we've been Go up right to. Into it. Okay, People here's the story. Um, a few years back, Cameron needed some dental work, yeah. and so he went into uh, the dentist's office. Was it a root canal um, or a crown? I don't remember because I've had a that year I had a lot of dental work done, <laughs> but um, I loved this dental office and I felt like I was home here. I felt like everyone treated me the nicest way they could. And yeah, I loved going <laughs> into this place and really loved the dentist. You know, I like female dentists because they're more gentle <laughs> and like they, they feel like a nurse, you know, they're taking care of you. Yeah. Can I, I wait? I'm, can I do a little side note? Remember yes. when you drove past that place and it was called Gentle Dentistry and you were like, come on, come Why on. did you not call yourself Gentle Dental? <laughs> that would have been a game changer. It would have made millions of dollars. Um, yeah, but if you have a dentist who's a man, I mean, it feels like he's just working on a project and like taking his tools to your mouth. So I liked going to this place. I liked my dentist. I felt like I was home. <laughs> and then uh, Cameron, as you know, when you're at the dentist's office and they're working in your mouth, it can be difficult to respond to their questions well, or to talk to them. They even. pried my mouth open, so I could not close it. <laughs> so, so the so the dentist so, was do, working on Cameron's mouth, and she kept saying things like. Oh, it looks like this is going to take a little longer, Brandon. <laughs> okay, Brandon, how you doing? And all I can say is, uh-huh. <laughs> the whole time she called him Brandon. <laughs> uh, I thought I could trust her. I thought she knew me. <laughs> so the reason... How does that relate? Okay, because I thought of that story... Because recently, Cameron has been working on a Kickstarter project for a documentary that he's going to be doing on uh, the Latin Mass. It's called The Mass of the Ages. And 
Throughout this Kickstarter, Cameron's been doing some interviews on Facebook Live, and maybe we can just like link to those interviews because you have oh, a YouTube channel now. Yeah. And one of the interviews was with um, Scott Hahn, and well, actually, the one the I I know the connection you're about to make, and okay. the one you're thinking of is uh, Peter Kraft. I think it was one of my first. Ones. Oh, okay, okay. So it was with Peter Kraft, and so so one of the people who sh- like was sharing a bunch of our content, shared something like a bunch of, you know, excited faces emojis and said, oh my goodness, I'm so excited for this interview coming up. Because it had Peter Kraft and myself. It had like both of our faces and our names. Yep. And so then someone commented underneath it, something along the lines of, oh, this looks great, but who's Cameron O'Hearn? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's great. It was... uh. It was amazing. I got to interview here intellectual heroes, people I looked up to, and uh, I do not. I still don't know how I got those interviews. It had to have been King Jesus wanted me to have those interviews. Yeah, let me just say who you interviewed because yeah. it was really exciting. So, um, Peter Kraft was your first one, and then Matt Frad, Matt Frad, and then uh, Daria Little. Yeah, right? and there was Eric Sammons, Eric Sammons. Dr. Peter Kwasniewski, yeah. and Scott Hahn, yeah. somehow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I got that question so often. How did, how did you inter- get to interview Scott Hahn? I'm like, no no one knows who I am. It's not <laughs> it's not because of my name at all. Um, so that was incredible. It's because the Lord wanted it to happen. Yeah. yeah, and the Kickstarter fully funded last week and we hit all three of our stretch goals yesterday when the kickstarter ended Mm -hmm. just been a phenomenal journey um i wonder if in a future episode we'll like go into that more yeah because that's not really the topic of this episode but yeah i think what we can do is at least link to the website if people are interested and want to check it out and um yeah because it has been uh, over, like a little over a month long. And I mean, it's been a big part of our life along with another new addition. Yeah, that little to girl. To our family. Ellen so Imelda. Little. Ellen Imelda. Ellen is named after Little Nellie of Holy God. And, um, she is the reason why Pope St. Pius the 10th. That's right. Uh, speaking of. <laughs> I'll you want to go grab her? Um, why Pope Saint Pope Pius the Tenth lowered the communion age? Um, little Nellie was uh, four years old and um, was with living with religious sisters, and she had just a great grasp of Jesus and the Blessed Sacrament, and would be able to sense even if. Um, one of the sisters had gone to mass or not because she could sense that Christ was still um, within that sister. And uh, so she's named after, our little Ellen is named after uh, little Nellie. Ellen was her baptismal name. And then um, Blessed Imelda, uh, which I think um, more of you are probably familiar with, but um, she was uh, slightly older. I can't remember her age, maybe seven maybe seven or eight. Um, and she, when she received her uh, first Holy Communion, she died in ecstasy. So 
Our Ellen Imelda is named after two uh, little girls who loved Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament. And she joined our family at the end of June. And it has been crazy. I was telling Cameron, the more kids we have, the more I regret ever having given advice to other parents <laughs> up to this point. Uh, because it's just, uh, you learn new things with each kid, as many of you know, and uh, all your kids are so different. And um, all of you that have kids that are 15 months apart or less, I applaud you because uh, it. this is the first time we've had uh, two that close, and it has been uh, more challenging, I would say, um, but it's been a joy, and all our kids just love Ellen, and um, especially Faustina, who's um, a little over a year now. She's uh, 14 months, and she just loves her little sister. So we are happy and we are tired and we are getting back into the swing of things. I'm really happy. Are you? I am. Okay, that's good. Okay. (laughs) Here she is with the fresh diaper. Thank you, Cameron. I only say say that kind of tongue-in-cheek because it's been difficult. Yeah. Um, I know you're sharing a little bit about that, but... Getting back in the swing of things and like there's a certain way you want to operate, run your life. You want to pray in the morning. You want to do homeschool every day. You want the house to not be chaotic. Uh-huh. But that's not feasible. Right. And that's difficult. Yeah. And I get stressed out. And sometimes I take it out on my husband. <laughs> And uh, (laughs) just yesterday, actually, I think it was yesterday, yesterday morning when I said, we don't have to go too too much longer on this. I know I'm talking a long time, but um, I woke up in the morning and things were just crazy. (laughs) And I was uh, feeling like overwhelmed and we were just jumping into things and and so I said, I'm just going to take the kids on a drive and go get a coffee. And um, I'm just going to take the kids on a drive and go get a coffee. And they can listen to an audiobook, and I can just have some quiet. Because they're strapped in. They can't go anywhere. Yeah. And the babies will nap. And then I'll listen to Sally Clarkson give me some inspiration. <laughs> Shout out to Sally Clarkson. <laughs> you got to get her on the podcast. I know. We've been saying that for a while. Can you guys help us get Sally on the podcast? Can you tweet at her? And she's stuff? she's releasing a new book called Awaking Wonder. So I wonder if I can get her to promote her book on my podcast. Maybe. Let's Do see. it. Okay. Do it. So I'm going to read a scripture, kind of set the mood. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm going to read from DeSales and what he says about the topic. And then I want you to react to it. Okay. Because the thing about having four kids is you can't plan for much, mm-hmm. like, of what you're doing. So this this podcast is planned very little, and I want to uh-huh. just get your reactions to these things. Okay. okay. This is from Ecclesiastes, chapter 3, starting at verse 10. 
I have seen the business that God has given to the sons of men to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's mind. Yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I know that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has made it so in order that men should fear before him. All right, switching over to DeSales. The rivers which flow gently through our plains bear barges of rich merchandise, and the gracious rains which fall softly on the land fertilize it to bear the fruits of the earth. But when the rivers swell into torrents, they hinder commerce and devastate the country, and violent storms and tempests do the like. He gives another example here. Flies harass us less by what they do than by reason of their multitude. And so great matters give us less disturbance than a multitude of small affairs. Ooh. Talk to me. Yeah, that's speaking to me. Um, a multitude of small <laughs> affairs. <laughs> so I have been... That was a great choice. I have been... Uh, I would use the word overstimulated by everything. When I come to Amber in the morning, I'm like, what are you, what are you up to today? She just says, I got a multitude of small affairs. <laughs> I'm like, I'm, yep, sounds about right. Yeah. So uh, just because I know many of you can relate to this, but because um, there's a lot of crying and a lot of, hey, mom, look at this. Hey, mom, this. Hey, mom, this. Hey, mom, that. <laughs> and... I'm trying I can to do... only survive like 20 minutes of that and you go <laughs> all day. And I'm trying to do laundry and there's just, and there's stuff everywhere and there's, you know, I'm just, I feel um, overstimulated, overtouched because everyone's touching me, everyone's talking at I'm me. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, so I feel just, uh, by the end of the day, I'm like, Ooh, okay, I just need a little bit of alone time. And then it's like the the night gets away. Yeah. I mean, it just like goes over so quickly. And then it's like, okay, we're going to bed and we're starting it again. And we're staying up late to try to get in time together. And then yeah. It affects the next morning too. Right. Yeah. And then you're, like you said, you're going to bed. It's like, like I, I think it was two nights ago after we... We watched a show on Netflix and we we're going to bed. We like forgot what day it was. Like, <laughs> we gotta just do this again tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it feels so. It can feel so monotonous sometimes. I mean, right. much less for me because I, at least in my job, I get to do I get to do different things and creative things. But for you, it feels like a lot of time you're doing the same thing again and again. Right. Yeah, and we were, we were talking this morning um, about uh, something that St. Francis de Sales says. I don't know if you were going to share that quote later, too, about um, the way that we uh, see success. I, I'm paraphrasing here, obviously, versus the way that God sees success. You want me to read it? Yeah, that'd be great. Great. 
In all your affairs, lean solely on God's providence, by means of which alone your plans can succeed. Meanwhile, on your part, work on in quiet cooperation with him, and then rest satisfied that if you have trusted entirely to him, you will always obtain such a measure of success as is most profitable for you. Mm, yeah. Whether it seems so or not to your own individual judgment. Yes, yes. Can we just read it again? That last part? <laughs> yes, read that again because I was kind of interrupting. Um, work on in quiet cooperation with him and then rest satisfied that if you have trusted entirely to him, you will always obtain such a measure of success as is most profitable for you. Yeah, because I think <clears throat> how I see success, I just, you know, at the end of the day, things look crazy in the house, and maybe I only, you know, did a little math with the kids today for homeschool. I didn't get what I wanted to accomplish and it can feel like, oh, was today even a success? Uh, because it just seemed so crazy. And I don't feel like I accomplished what I wanted to accomplish. Mm -hmm. But in God's eyes, it was a success because I embraced God's will. Mm -hmm. And I mean, if I embraced God's will and I uh, chose to practice his presence and love him through uh, my work and my labors and loving my kids. So even if it didn't appear like a success to me, it was what God wanted for the day. And as long as I embraced that or tried to embrace that, then it was a success. Do you agree? Yeah. And I think more so than just from an internal perspective, we could talk about, yes, you know, doing God's will and how that's the most profitable thing you can do. But also, I think we're depositing our efforts into our children now, and we're just not seeing the return yet mm -hmm. in most things. Mm -hmm. And we're not going to see the return until they become adults mm -hmm. <laughs> and start making choices. And we're going to see the ways we failed, but more importantly to what we're saying is, we're going to see a lot of the ways that we've borne fruit mm. from day in and day out, 52 weeks out of the year. Yeah. <laughs> Just doing the same thing again and again. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. So I, I, we hope that that's an encouragement to you who are listening as well, who are in the same boat as us, or maybe even in deeper water. In a water. better boat. <laughs> <laughs> You're in a better boat. Than us, you have more little or worse boats running around. Maybe you're in a little canoe. Yeah, but that the the small things that your little what was it little bees little flies oh affairs your small affairs oh, are a multitude of small affairs. Yes, yeah, so the multitude of small affairs. Even if you're not seeing any of those fruits. And like whatever you do just gets undone in a few seconds later. <laughs> um, know that you are setting an example of virtue for your kids. 
you are loving them and forming the foundation that's going to, that we'll see the fruits of later. Yeah. Hopefully. I mean, our oldest is six, so <laughs> <laughs> obviously we're not pros. Uh, is that encouraging for you to hear right now? I feel like you're kind of talking to yourself too. I am talking to myself. Yeah. Like, I'm just thinking of next week, you know, when I'm still going to work and we still have four kids. Yeah. And you still need to sleep in because you're tandem nursing. Yeah. You're nursing two two little ones. And yeah. So what are you going to do about it next week? How are you going to, you know, trust entirely to him? Yeah, that's a good question. I think... I think if I can remember in the moment, which is hard to do, that um, that this is God's will. And even when everyone's, like, talking at me and touching me, if I can just, like, <laughs> take, a, take a breath. People picturing, like, you tandem nursing two kids, like, our other two kids on your feet, and I'm, like, behind you, like, kissing you from behind, like, trying to <laughs> get a smooch from you. Everyone's touching you all day. Oh, gosh. But if I can just remember, like, take a breath in those moments and be able to say to myself, this is how I'm growing in virtue. This is how I respond to this. My kids are going to see and Mm. it's going to impact them. It's most profitable to you. That's what he's saying. Mm. Like if if you did today what was directly in front of you, the kind of as reality presents itself, God's will presents itself, you just do those things, even if they feel monotonous, it will be most mm. profitable to you. Yeah, that's so good. And I think we can recognize that. I think one example is looking to my mom or to your parents where they are in their life now. Mm-hmm. Seem like, oh, that looks, I mean, you know, everyone's busy. Everyone has concerns at different states in life, but you can see how there is some sort of like a finish line in terms of your children growing up and you're like, you did it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You see them living their lives and growing their families and there's a sense of, oh yeah, this is our, the traditions and the values that we instilled in our children are Mm. being passed on and what you wouldn't give to have another day of monotony with your little kids again yeah (laughs) i try and remember that when i can when i hear the hey mom hey mom hey mom (laughs) (laughs) across the house so that i can because i'm not gonna you know several years from now we might not be hearing hey mom hey mom hey mom and so I just want to, just want to love that and embrace it. Mm-hmm. And you know what I'm excited for, though. What are you excited for? Is when we're retired <laughs> and our kids come over after we've slept in, yeah. after we've gone to mass, and we have like donuts with our crew, with our mass crew, other older people. <laughs> yeah. And then we're playing a board game with our family, our kids. Yeah. And 
I'm reading the newspaper. What are you going to be doing? I want to play board games and read the newspaper. Yeah, I'll probably be reading a book. <laughs> Just a book. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That sounds fun. Do you have anything else exciting you're going you're planning on doing? I don't know. What are you going to do with the rest of your life? Maybe finish all those baby books. You that... could patch my jeans. <laughs> I could. <laughs> Finally, <laughs> iron your clothes. Finally, Whoa. you're gonna be the best dressed, best looking old man at daily oh, mass. Man. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, so let let me read. We'll end with this. Um, and if you have any more reactions, you can share that at the end. But here's what here's like the advice to sales gives. Okay, did you want to say anything just, either? I feel like I, I said talked things. a lot. Okay, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was a comic relief. Okay. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and there's a kid crying. Okay. Speaking of, he says, Imitate a little child whom one sees holding tight with one hand to its father, while with the other it gathers strawberries or blackberries from the wayside hedge. Even so, while you gather and use this world's goods with one hand, Always let the other be fast in your Heavenly Father's hand. And look round from time to time to make sure that he is satisfied with what you are doing at home or abroad. Beware of letting go under the idea of making or receiving more. If he forsakes you, you will fall to the ground at the first step. When your ordinary work or business is not especially engrossing, let your heart be fixed more on God than on it. And if the work be such as to require your undivided attention, then pause from time to time and look to God. Even as navigators who make for the haven they would attain by looking up at the heavens rather than down upon the deeps on which they sail. So doing, God will work with you, in you and for you, and your work will be blessed. the end that's great thanks uh i think the the key phrase um is letting go of the father's hand to try to do more work to try to get more done like you're like i don't have Mm. time for this or of course i can't pause for 10 seconds because you know there's this mess or this task that needs to be done and you're trying to to drum up more success or do more work and you're forgetting that that's when you fall. That's when you like. So do you have any more thoughts yeah, on that? That's I know so it's good. Um, I, it reminds me of also something I read in, uh, from St. Teresa of Avila. Um, Here, she let me take said, that girl. okay, thanks. This was from, um, interior castle and she was, um, She's talking about prayer, and she said, Provided that we do not abandon our prayer, the Lord will turn everything we do to our profit. So as long as we have the Lord in mind and are not abandoning Him, everything we do is going to be, He's going to turn everything um, for good. Amen. So, Thanks so much for listening, and thanks for being patient. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> With us having four kids, running a Kickstarter. I'm trying to get close enough to the mic. <laughs> um, 
we know all a lot of you are in the similar boat. So mm-hmm. solidarity. Yeah. We got this. <laughs> Thank you all so much. And uh, we continue praying for you in our daily rosary. And um, I'll just go ahead and close us in prayer now. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this time this morning to um, to share and to think about you and how you're working in our lives. I pray, Lord, for all those who are listening today that you would um, give them the the grace that they need and um, the peace that they need and the joy uh, to do their tasks and what you have ahead of them today. And Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for our families and we offer this day to you in your holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hi friends, you have been listening to Diapers and Disciples. To find out more about the podcast, you can visit diapersanddisciples.com. You can also visit us on Facebook and Instagram at Diapers and Disciples. To learn more about supporting the show, visit patreon.com slash diapersanddisciples. Thanks so much for listening today. Until next time, God bless. Our next two offerings on the Lunchtime Podcast Sampler come from the podcast series Catholic Bites, that's B-Y-T-E-S. On Catholic Radio, you hear a lot about apologetics and how to defend our faith properly. On our first episode from Catholic Bites, Father Conrad and Father Griffin begin the episode by discussing what not to do when giving a defense of the faith. You may have great explanations for the various questions about faith, but if you don't present it in the way that is well-received, it may not work out so well, or worse, you could turn someone away from the faith. But don't worry, they close the episode with some practical tips on how to do apologetics well. Hello and welcome to Catholic Bites, the podcast for busy Catholics. This is Father Conrad, and I have back with me for a returning guest, uh, Father Carter Griffin. Father Griffin, welcome back to Catholic Bites. Thank you. It was like literally breaking the fourth wall, like two seconds, and then, or no, maybe like five minutes, and now you're back on the show. So return, returning guest, uh, for sure. And the last conversation we had, we talked a little bit about apologetics, and today we're going to talk about the practical side of those things. So, um, uh, and and you had a great suggestion while we were off mic, which is. Uh, apologetics done badly. Yeah. So, what's your what's your horror story? What's the worst you get? I think the horror story is um, is somebody who has read up on apologetics, knows all of the kind of the pat answers, and like dives in, you know, wanted to change hearts, change souls, and basically bludgeons someone to death mm-hmm. with his arguments. You know, and and maybe he wins the argument. You know, that's actually even worse. Yeah, because then he goes away <laughs> feeling smug and self satisfied, and not only has not want a soul but probably push that person further away maybe forever you know and so uh, apologetics are really important but they can also be used as a weapon you know sort of the you know the what everyone is saying today weaponizing yeah weaponize yeah. apologetics and and I, you know i don't want to overstate the case i don't think that often happens deliberately i don't think mm-hmm. there's bad will necessarily involved um people just get enthusiastic and kind of they they, they see the truth so clearly and they want yeah. to share it and so they become 
But I think we have to be really careful, you know, in that people approach our Lord in different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and those who will find an intellectual approach more helpful, you know, that we need to be ready for them and, and, and sort of give it to them in a way that they're best able to receive it. Yeah. Um, so I think that would be, yeah, that, that, that's sort of the horror story. And, I've, and I think every priest has heard many examples <laughs> of that too, you know? Yeah, that, well, that brings me to my, and it's a great thing, I, I, and we didn't plan this, but it brings up my favorite quote from St. Thomas, which is, everything's received according to the mode of the receiver, and which is, if someone is not ready to receive your argument, even if your argument is right, it's not going to reach the goal. And I, so I think and when I think of bad apologetics, I think about those people, and this isn't a Catholic example. I think about those people who stand outside of baseball games with signs saying like, you're going to hell, you know, the world's ending, you're going to hell. And there was some on our campus uh, uh, last, last semester. And I always wonder like, what's their end goal? Because like, it's not the most like convincing, even if they're right, even if they're all right, even if they're like, we've been deluded this whole time and they've been, they, they know the secret and the world's ending and we're all going to hell. It doesn't seem like their method of, of, of speaking to us is, is there to convince us to change our way. It seems like it's actually more just about showmanship than right. anything else. And that one is certainly, uh, I mean, there's reason, I suppose, of a kind involved in that. That tends to be more kind of emotion against emotion. Yeah, yeah. You know? Whereas I think what we're talking about with the with the guy with the with apologetics is similar to that in the sense that it's it's equally I think ineffective if it's not you know done well. But it's um it's this feeling that you know let's take the best case. The mm-hmm. best case is you know you you get into a discussion about whatever the church is teaching on devotion to Mary or mm-hmm. something like that, mm-hmm. and you're talking to a Protestant and you've got all the Bible verses lined up, yeah, and you've got all the arguments lined up, and you know he presents something and then you kind of shoot it down, and he presents another thing you shoot it down, and let's say he's so intellectually honest that at the end of the discussion he says, "Well, you've made some good points." Yeah. The question is, how many people like that are like, "Sign me up for RCIA"? <laughs> it's just, not that many. You know, not that many. And so it, now it still is. If it's done well, it's an important part of his journey. It was a mm-hmm. part of my journey, as I said in the last uh, last time we were together. But um, yeah, I just think that it's we. It needs to be used uh, first of all as part of a larger mm-hmm. kind of strategy. And second of all, with a great deal of humility. Yeah, you know the um, the, the famous uh, the famous quote of Saint Peter, of course, that is really kind of apologetics is First Peter three fifteen. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who calls you to account for the hope that is in you. So always mm-hmm. be prepared to, to make a defense, and that word is epilogia, ap- mm-hmm. apology. Ap- apolo- uh. And then it continues. Yet do it with gentleness and reverence. Mm. You know, do it with gentleness and reverence. And I think that sort of is the piece that St. Peter put in that, and it's often left off, you know, yeah. because we should make a defense of the faith, but to do so with gentleness and reverence. Yeah, and I think that gentleness and reverence comes from a legitimate desire or like a, I think a lot of the boisterous kind of argumentation or the or the uh, bludgeoning kind of argumentation comes from a, a hidden pride or vanity. In, in or us. insecurity. Yeah, or insecurity, yeah, exactly. Right. Like, I need to answer right. this, I need to fix this, I need to convert right. this person. And in reality, when we when we have a genuine charity for the other person and really desire their good, then we're going to know, or or the Holy Spirit's going to help guide us to when to speak and when to be quiet, when to how to speak to them, thinking about them and how they're going to receive it versus what is the right answer. I think that's a great point. You know, I think if you don't have kind of that boisterous passion or whatever, it might seem like you have less zeal. Mm-hmm. But in fact, if you're doing it because you're holding back in order to present the faith with gentleness and reverence, it might actually be because you have more zeal. Yeah. You actually have a, a bigger heart, you know, and you and you you love this person so much that you want to present the faith in such a way that is makes it easiest for them yeah. to approach our Lord. 
So I think that's kind of, and so this is not a question of like not having the zeal. I mean, people can tell when you're convicted, yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> and they should, I hope that every Catholic out there who talks about the faith and has a well-ordered and reasoned faith is able to c- express their conviction, um, and, uh, you know, which I think is, is but, it, but it just doesn't have to be in such a way that it's uh, in order to win an argument. Yeah. I guess that's the bottom line. Yeah. You know? Well, so that, that, that's kind of the negative side of apologetics. For someone who is intimidated by apologetics, right. like, you know, I, I went to Catholic grade school. I went to Catholic high school. I, I, I learned my catechism a little bit, but maybe I'm not well-versed in it. What would you say, what would, would be some practical ways in which they can learn how to make a better defense of their faith? And, and, and where's the, when you're intimidated by speaking to other people about the faith in general, kind of where's the starting point and what gives people, what can give people the, the courage and the confidence to be able to defend the faith well? So the first thing definitely is to become comfortable with saying, that's a great point. I don't know the answer to it. Mm, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I think some of the insecurity comes from like, I'm not going to be able to answer every question. And the answer is you're not going to be able to answer every question. <laughs> you know, there are a lot of smart people out there who disagree with us. Um, and they're going to have questions that you just never, never thought of before. But together with that, that humility to be able to say, that's a great question, I don't know. Um, also to have that interior conviction that, but someone has thought through this before, yeah. right? And they're like a lot of smart and wise Catholics through the centuries, and there's really nothing new out there. And it's just, and it's not a question of sort of coming up with a pat answer, but it's like this has been thought deep through deeply mm-hmm. by by people, and and I just have to experience that, you know, expose myself to this. So the first thing is the humility to be able to say that, but the conviction that's mm-hmm. underneath it that it can be addressed. The second thing I think is there does need to be um, a certain amount of formal preparation. I mean, personal preparation, yeah. right? I mean, there there are a lot. We live. Some people have called it the golden age of apologetics, and we have some of the great apologists of all time, I think, living mm-hmm. today. Maybe the greatest of all time. I don't know. I mean, you know, guys like Peter Kraft and Patrick mm-hmm. Madrid, I mean, just these giants, you know, and many others, you know, and I, um, uh, who, have, who have really changed the world, I think, the Catholic world, mm-hmm. certainly the English-speaking Catholic world, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know. So I think being able, being able to take advantage of those resources, um, and especially, I always find it helpful, and, you know, especially uh, when I was a new Catholic, or not even Catholic yet, is to take it sort of an issue at a time. So rather than mm-hmm. reading these apologetics books as like sort of cover to cover, sometimes that's helpful, but usually it was like, what is kind of grabbing my attention right now? What was the question that someone asked me I mm-hmm. couldn't answer? What is the thing that I struggle with? I'm, I'm not sure. I have difficulties with such and such a teaching. Let me do it, because that's when you're going to be most receptive to actually yeah. internalizing, because it can't just be spitting out arguments that you've heard, that you've read mm-hmm. in some book. Mm-hmm. It has to be internalized, and then you're saying it because it's coming from your own heart and your own mind, and therefore you're saying it with genuineness and conviction because it's really you, yeah. and it's not just someone else's argument that you're you're parroting. So I think those would be some initial steps, anyway. You know, in terms of the preparation. Beforehand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I think that internalizing point is really key because the thing that is convincing most often is our conviction, as opposed to the rational argument. Most people don't respond well to rational arguments. And if they do, it's like you said earlier, they have a very honest mind, which is is a very rare commodity these days. And so what is more convincing to people is the facts of our own convictions and, 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 and willingness to kind of, and this is where kind of the secondary aspect of apologetics comes in, the, the willingness for ourselves to to believe these things, to lay down our lives according to these principles that know that I'm really walking the walk and talking the talk because I believe it's real. And then your argument hits with so much more force then. And and what that means too is that if you're not the most intellectual and you don't have the most understanding and yet you do have this firm conviction of faith, you can still be a great apologist 
by the way you live your life and the way you, you express yourself, even if you don't have the perfect answer and all the Bible quotes like right in your mind at the same time. Right. And, and I think precisely because not many people are sort of as intellectually honest as um, as we'd all want to be, you know, we're sort of changing our, our minds on the spot, very often sort of sending, you know, ending a discussion where maybe you haven't convinced each other, mm-hmm. but saying, well, let's send something to each other. Yeah, you know? yeah. And then you have maybe some, an article or a book or something like that, you can send them and they can do the same with you, yeah. you know, and maybe sometimes those are far more effective because mm-hmm. then, I mean, let's face it, 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 there's, you're a little bit less threatened when you're kind of on your own reading something, you're like, huh, this actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Whereas when you're with another human being, the ego, yeah, the two yeah. egos are involved <laughs> there and it's a little bit harder. Who are you uh, to tell me what I, what, yeah. what to believe and what not to believe? Yeah, and, yeah. right. So I think having, you're right, I think that sort of the, the credibility of life is probably the most important thing. Maybe after having a li- an interior life where mm-hmm. you're actually praying for this person, yeah. right? Because it's, yeah. it's the grace, again, that's going to move even the intellect, you know, not just the will, but the intellect. Um, and then I think at a practical level, you know, in the discussions, it's um, to allow room for some back and forth, mm-hmm. you know, that it's not just us kind of talking down to somebody. Yep but really receiving and listening, you know, where are they? You know, the, the Holy Father often talks about accompaniment, you know, mm-hmm. starting where they are. I mean, that's that's just a classic uh, pastoral principle. Like, I mean, you can't start five steps ahead of them and expect to walk with them, right? Yeah. You have to figure out where they are. So really be learning like the art of listening. Um, friendship, I think, is a part of this, mm-hmm. right? That when people know that you care for them, that you love them, um, they're much more open to listening to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, I think try, trying to sort of keep the discussion tight, you know, yeah. so it doesn't just kind of sprawl everywhere. So, well, let's talk about this issue, yeah. you know, and just kind of stay with this. And maybe we're not going to come to any huge conclusions, but at least we can have a really deep and interesting and friendly uh, conversation. About and I that. think it would be good too. I mean, this is a, just came to the top of my head. It'd be good to practice, you know, if you don't feel comfortable with certain arguments, then practice with someone who you do yeah. know is and, and, and play devil's advocate a little bit and say, well, what about this? What about that? And have your own kind of conversation so that that way, again, it, it's more internal and, and, and you know kind of the responses to, to different things, I think, could be incredibly helpful. Very helpful. You know, what, one of the things we've done, uh, we're in our 11th year here at uh, John Paul II Seminary, and from the beginning, we wanted to have apologetics to be a part of the formation of mm-hmm. seminarians. And, and the way we went about it is sort of this idea where it's actually kind of an ancient idea, a scholastic idea of sort of starting out with all the arguments against our position, mm-hmm. you know, against mm-hmm. the church's teaching in this case. Um, so you start with all the arguments against whatever the church is teaching on contraception or whatever it might be, you know, and so you go through all those things and then you kind of explore the church's teaching very briefly and then you respond to all those first objections. And what it does is it, it helps you kind of really get into the mindset of somebody who disagrees with us, which is not just kind of helpful in terms of those mm-hmm. discussions, but it also helps, I think, inspire more respect for those who disagree with us. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. mean we agree with them. It doesn't mean that we're not more, ze- in fact, we're more zealous because we're like, wow, these are not evil, dumb people. You know, yeah, these exactly. are, you know, these can be good people and irrational people, and yet they disagree with us. So let's explore their arguments, but then not leave out also what are some possible yeah. Catholic responses. Not to heap too much praise, although I do in this podcast all the time on St. Thomas, but I always find that St. Thomas makes his opponent's arguments for them better than they exactly. do themselves. Yeah. And, and because of that, he's able to, to triumph, as it were, uh, in the argument, because he knows so well what they believe and what they think that he can then address it, and it, it forces him to, to to think more deeply. And that might lead us to one last uh, practical tidbit, tidbit for for apologetics, which is just read the entire Summa Theologiae. You know, like I think getting that down, memorizing it, question by question. I think that's yeah. a pretty I, sensible I don't know if you have thing. To memorize the whole thing, but I mean, if you can get solid three quarters. Yeah, I think know, that'd be pretty so, good. I mean, uh, uh, one thing, by the way, just about the. Um, 
uh, you know, another reader, another person to read would be Cardinal Ratzinger and Pope yeah, Benedict, yeah, yeah, yeah. who also had this wonderful ability to kind of think through his opponents, not opponents, that's too strong a word, but yeah. you know, those who disagreed with him intellectually and articulate their voice, their views in a really, really beautiful way. So you can, I think in addition to memorizing the Summa, you can memorize all of yeah, them. Uh, yeah, he didn't write that much though. So that's, that shouldn't be too <laughs> hard. So great. Father Griffin, thank you so much for joining us again. This was really great. Sure thing. Enjoyed it. And if you would like to listen to other great Catholic podcasts, which is another great way to learn about the truths of the faith that you might be called upon to defend, you can find the whole archive of the Catholic Bites podcast, all five or six years of it, and now I think is what we're on, um, at catholicbitespodcast.com, or you can find us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Uh, Thank you, and God bless you. And while I was visiting with the good folks from Catholic Bites, I stumbled on this fun episode called Spiritual Metaphor, Playing the Saxophone. Father Rich Miserandino joins Father Conrad to talk about how playing the saxophone can be a metaphor for the spiritual life. Hello and welcome to Catholic Bites, the podcast for busy Catholics. This is Father Conrad and I have with me Father Rich Miserandino. Welcome back to Catholic Bites. Thank you so much. It's great to be with you. It's great to be here again. And Father Rich, uh, what some people might not know about you, we've done podcasts on science in the past with you, and that's been really cool. But what some people might not know is that when you went to undergrad, you double majored or dual degreed in like physics and saxophone, right? From like the Eastman School in Rochester. Yeah, um, I was actually like the nerdy version of Batman. So I had like my secret identity and my real identity. And so... (laughs) By day, I was a physicist and I pushed electrons around. But by night, um, I was a saxophonist. I went to the Eastman School of Music, studied music. And I used to practice for four hours a day, believe it or not. Um, (laughs) As a priest, I don't quite have that time. Yeah. But, you know, one of the things that I've I've tried to do is try to keep it alive, so to speak, to practice as much as I can. Yeah. Um, And one of the things I guess I wanted to talk about today was as I've been reflecting on this and I've been trying to get my chops back up. Um, I love, so but pause right a second. I love that like chops is a technical term for, for those kind of instruments, you know, like, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, like yeah. that, I, that it's, it's like stuff in baseball. Like, I just love how it's a tech, it's a technical term. Anyway, continue. Well, there, There's all sorts of nerdy terms and all sorts of insider knowledge, but that, I mean, that's part of it that like there's its own lingo, right? Yeah. Um, anything worthwhile has its own lingo, but <laughs> yeah. So like, this year has been COVID and I've sort of been, you know, not practicing as much as I should. And that's like, it gets you, you don't get like flabby with like saxophone, but you do get out of shape in a certain Mm -hmm. sense. And so I'm trying to get my, get my, get myself back into shape so I can play with the band I play in again. And it leads to actually a lot of uh, fruitful reflection and prayer because, you know, in a a real way, there are so many, I want to write a book someday about, um, how the life of somebody playing in a band parallels the church and the life of like the growth and faith mm-hmm. and virtue that happens in the church. And like, I've had numbers of conversations with this, uh, with my friends and it, it's kind of surprising how many close parallels there are. I think the most basic just to sort of start is just learning an instrument and like learning to grow in virtue and growing in faith. Mm-hmm. And like, how does that happen? Like what, what, somebody might ask me like, how do I learn the clarinet or how do Mm -hmm. I learn the saxophone? And you can give them all sorts of books and things like that. And it's important to form the intellect, but um, much like growing in virtue, uh, playing 
the saxophone, you, you just kind of have to start doing it. Mm-hmm. Like Aristotle and St. Thomas both say, like, how do you grow in the virtue of prudence? Well, by making prudent decisions. <laughs> how do you grow in like the virtue of courage by doing courageous things? There's a there's a practice to it. Yeah. Um, which I think is oftentimes neglected in the realm of our faith. Uh, we don't just like magically grow in faith. Obviously, God's grace inspires us to want to grow in faith. He sculpts our heart and molds us. But there's a certain element to like the practice of the virtue of faith that is so necessary to our growing in it. Um, yeah, and 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 that that brings up the, the the further point, which is that practice takes time. Like you're not going to be like, okay, I need to be courageous by next week when I have to fight this bully. You know, like it, no, it takes time to of consistently making courageous choices or prudent choices or temperate choices. Uh, in order to grow in that virtue, just like you wouldn't expect someone who just picked up the saxophone to like be able to, you know, wail out some incredible solo or like the the Pink Panther theme or something like that, you know, like <laughs> it, it, it instantaneously. Right. You know, you, you you start with playing basic learning how to like just move your mouth, you know, and, and so like we shouldn't we should recognize that the same thing is true with the life of virtue, that you're not going to be, you know, St. Uh, you know, St. John Paul II overnight. Absolutely. You know, and I think that's true for I I find that fact encouraging Mm -hmm. for me, Uh, spiritually, intellectually. um, You know, Rome wasn't built in a day. You don't learn an instrument all in one night. And, you know, the thing that I I actually find consoling almost in like a backhanded compliment sort of way is I remember back to when I was in like fourth grade first learning and I sounded like a dying goose. (laughs) Um, But everybody sounds like a dying goose for the first couple of years. And you kind of have to push through it and, you know, take baby steps. But the thing that really gets you through is having patience with yourself and the discipline to like try, try again. If at first you don't succeed, okay, well, you played and you got maybe half of the notes, right? Okay, (laughs) well, if you just throw in the towel and say like, I can't do it. Well, of course you can't do it. Like you can't do it. But I think all too often, like I find in my own heart, the challenge with, you know, like growing in a habit of prayer, one of the things that's most important um, is that is that consistency, that discipline mm-hmm. to really like dedicate, you know, say like, this is the time I'm going to set aside for prayer. And then some days it's going to go wonderfully. Um, and you'll be like, wow, I've made real progress. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. some days it's not. I mean, even talking to my friends who are like the pros in the military bands here in DC, uh, <laughs> they'll be the first to line up and tell you that they have their good days and their bad days. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, these are people who do music as a job. Yeah, They have their highs and their lows and their, and it's the same thing for any great saint, um, when you look at their their prayer life, they'll tell you, yeah, there's dry periods and there's periods that are really great. And like there are periods where I'm really attentive and then periods where I'm scatterbrained. Mm-hmm. And it's just the consistency of habit, the consistency of, you know, giving ourselves to it that ultimately bears fruit, opening of ourselves to God's grace. Yeah. And and I think having someone there to encourage you is important in that too, right? Because like when you're a little kid and you're learning the saxophone, your parents tell you that it's the most amazing thing they've ever heard, right? And that gives you the the strength and the courage to move forward and to continue practicing. But then also having a teacher who can help you. You know, it's it's very rare that you find people who are self-taught in an instrument, right? Like there's usually you take piano lessons or you take violin lessons or something like that. But having a teacher who can help instruct you and move you forward um, and point out things that you might not realize you're doing or stuff like that. That would seem to me to be pretty important, both in learning an instrument and, and the life of grace. 
Absolutely. You know, there was a movie that came out a few years ago that my siblings were all musicians. And so we went to see it all together, actually. It was mm -hmm. called August Rush. And I don't mean to rag on it. It's a nice movie for what it is. But there's a scene in it where this little kid, maybe 12 years old, mm -hmm. is sitting at a pipe organ. Mm -hmm. And he just like starts playing <laughs> and like pulling out this. And like an organ has, it's like 50 instruments combined. Exactly. We were all like, how in the world does he know what things to play to make like the right sounds? Like he's never <laughs> seen one of these before. And th th there is something to that. Like you absolutely need somebody to guide you. And what's more important, I would even springboard off of that. I'm so glad you brought up like about lessons. Like we all need, that's the reason we have the church community. That's the mm -hmm. reason we have priests and spiritual mentors and spiritual directors and things like we encourage each other and build each other up in prayer. But more importantly, I would say that along with lessons, one of the greatest ways to grow in musicianship is to listen to good recordings. Yeah, yeah. And I would say that... Because, I mean, that's how you learn the technique of phrasing. That's how you learn the technique of sort of sculpting uh, what the music's supposed to sound like. And I got to tell you, like, there's a great analog there in the lives of the saints. Mm -hmm. um, like, what? Do, how do we know, like, what to talk about that intimate relationship with God we want? Like, what, what are the words we try to put to this ineffable thing? Um, the lives of the saints that have gone before us. Like, if I want to learn to play jazz, I'm going to listen to Cannonball Adderley or Coltrane or, you know, somebody like that. If I want to learn to pray or to really grow in, if, for instance, if I want to grow in the virtue of courage, well, I'm going to read St. Thomas more, mm -hmm. you know. Um, if I want to grow in prayer, Teresa of Avila, if I want to be, like, smart, I read St. Thomas Aquinas. The, the saints, they have, um, <laughs> they're, they're basically like the masters that, you know, yeah. if we listen to them, if we follow them and imitate their example, we, we pick up the phrasing of their lives. We pick up the means by which we can more effectively communicate uh, what's going on in us in an interior way, but also we, you know, might pick up a few tricks of the trade too. Yeah. And, and, and it helps feed your life of prayer, like in a real way to, to have good spiritual reading in, in that way. And I guess the, the, the big crossover then, which, you know, if you want to kill two birds with one stone, both listening to great musical recordings and uh, fulfilling your faith life, uh, faith life is to listen to Kanye West's uh, Jesus is King album because, you know, <laughs> it would seem like that would just, or Justin Bieber's new album, whatever. I, I don't know anything about Justin Bieber, but you know, like that, that, that seems like, you know, the pinnacle of musicianship and the pinnacle of spirituality, right? Well, I would say that we'd have a different conversation <laughs> at a different time uh, about what we mean by pinnacle and relationship. <laughs> um, now that, that would be a different podcast for a different time, but I, I see where you're going with it. And I, I encourage you in that. <laughs> it's okay. I've never listened to either of those. <laughs> um, that's awesome. Thank you, Father Rich, so much uh, for, for joining us on uh, Catholic Bites uh, yet again. And uh, I wish we had some of your like saxophone music to play as our outro music. That'd be pretty tight. But um, if you happen to record something in the, in the, like in the next, like, five minutes you know you can or next time you're practicing maybe we can get that to work out probably not though we'll probably use our standard stuff um cool. thank you everyone for listening and and thank you uh, uh uh father rich and if you would like to um uh listen to more great catholic talks from great catholic speakers you can find us at catholicbitespodcast.com and that's all the time we have for this week's lunchtime podcast sampler on catholic radio indie this episode along with links to more of the podcasts we've shared is available at catholicradioindy.org. I'm Kent Blanford. Have a great week, and God bless us, everyone.